podcast podcast Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Play for Keeps podcast. I'm Cameron Hay at Cameron underscore Hay on Twitter. I'm, of course, joined by Drew Williams at Dopest Drew on Twitter. And we have another special guest on this episode of the Play for Keeps podcast. We have Yoda, a.k.a. Rashad Phillips, NBA <laughs> draft guru, analyst, evaluator, whatever he goes by. You've probably seen him on your timeline, hitting on all of the the top guards in the draft and current young guards in the NBA. How are you doing, Rashad? Uh, I'm I'm great, Cam. Thanks for having me. I I really appreciate it, guys. No, we appreciate you coming on for sure. We, we, we started the pod, we wanted to, to focus in on other African-Americans in the basketball community. And you're, you're somebody who's carved out their own lane and their own niche in the community and are one of the more respected people. So we definitely wanted to, to have you as one of the first guests on the pod for sure. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I've been following you guys and, and really love the work that you, you've been doing and you've been building the right way. And uh, it's exciting to see young brothers like yourselves, um, you know, build build something organically, man. So, again, it's, it's my pleasure to be on you guys' platform. We have to start off with your, your high school career and yeah. upbringing in, in Oakland County, right? Yeah, I'm from Detroit, but I went to, I went to high school in Oakland County, which is yeah. right outside the, the city of Detroit. And you 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 played at Ferndale High School, correct? Yeah, Ferndale High School. Yep. Can you can you tell us about that experience in high school and how yeah. that? Went? Yeah, um, I was you know, born and raised on the east side of Detroit, um, and my my local high school was uh, Detroit Persian, which is a powerhouse. Um, Steve Smith, Kevin Willis, um, I mean, just uh, Willie Mitchell, Winifred Walton. I mean, so many great players come from there. My parents graduated from Persian. Uh, my younger brother went to Persian and, um, you know, just in my era, I was very, very small um, going into high school. And a lot of people don't know this, but when I was in middle school, I was one of the best football players um, in this in the state of in the state of Michigan. So <laughs> a, a lot of people knew me for uh, my football. But what, what position did you play in football? I was a quarterback. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. So I was a great football player in little league um and my father took me out to play with the oak park trojans um football team which was on the outskirts of detroit um and i I got a lot of notoriety out there and and started to befriend a lot of those kids in that area during middle school so long story short um one of my best friends rest in peace um he passed when i was in college but um we, we we developed a great friendship. His father happened to be the head coach of the basketball team at Ferndale at the time. And they recruited me kind of for football. And the, the funny secret behind all of that was the whispers in Ferndale and Oak Park area was that he's actually a better basketball player. So when I got to Ferndale, um, I, I started more of a, a football player. And then I, they found out I was actually probably better in basketball. And then it kind of went from there. And I had a, a pretty productive four years in high school. Yeah. And um, do you think let's start off with your, your the freshman year at Ferndale. Yeah, for sure. So you you start you played all four years of varsity at Ferndale. But you, yes. like, you were small. What yeah. was like the adjustment going to varsity basketball as a freshman being your size? Mm-hmm. Was there any yeah. curve learning curve for you or were you right uh, off the ground running and and were scoring immediately? Yeah. That's a great that's a great question. Um, there wasn't really a learning curve for me 
in particular because I'm a coach's son. Okay. Um, so growing up um, in the city, my father started a community center in 1979. I was born in 78. So I was raised around the game of basketball. So I, I came up under Steve Smith and Chris Weber and Jalen Rose and all those guys. So I always had a high cerebral um, IQ of the game. So that's why I was able to transition right into high school and start on varsity as a freshman. So the learning curve wasn't as deep as it is for a, a, a normal kid making that transition to varsity. Now, the challenge that I had was me being small at 14 years old, um, having that little kid body and um, trying to adjust to playing against seniors and all that. So it, it was a, it was a, it was a great, at a great year. We won the, um, the conference title my, my freshman year. Um, so it was, it was, it was fun. It was really fun. And did Ferndale, before you got there, did they have any type of like history for their program? Was it a basketball uh, powerhouse locally or was it just like a regular school? Regular, regular school. But they did have some great players before me. Dwayne Stevens, who's the associate head coach at Michigan State, was a great player at Ferndale. And Tommy Staten, who also before us, he was a great player out of Ferndale that went to University of Michigan. But it was like every 20 years we would have a great player. Yeah. Um, so I was fortunate enough to play with Jared Stevens, who was Dwayne Stevens' younger brother. He was my teammate. He was a year older than me. He actually went to Penn State and ended up leading the Big Ten and scoring and rebounding one year. So I did have some great teammates, Alvin Jones. Alvin Jones. So I, I had some talent around me. Yeah. Um, so I can't take the, all the credit there. I had some phenomenal teammates. I had a fantastic coach that kind of helped me along the way. No, for sure. For sure. Like when you hear about these people who go on to have these prolific collegiate careers. Yeah. Want to know like how dominant they were. Wasn't it the dominant star form? And yeah, of course, you know, like the, you hit the ground running, of course, starting as a varsity, starting as a freshman on varsity. Yeah. And just all four years carries you. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I and I, you know, as the as the years went on, I continued to progress and actually grow. So yeah. my freshman year, I averaged 12 points. And then my sophomore year, I averaged 19. My junior year, I averaged 22 and 11. And then my senior year, I averaged like 26. Um, so as I grew in stature, my statistics and we started to win more as I got, as I started to grow with age. So I, I, I started at like five feet. And then when I graduated high school, I was <laughs> five, eight. So yeah. I grew eight inches in that four year span. And my senior year, I was dunking the basketball my senior year. So I had kind of developed uh, and, and really made myself into a really good player. Yeah, eight inches over the course of four years in high school. Yeah, even that's if crazy. it's only five. That's eight. a lot. That's Still a lot. lot. Now, exactly. That's crazy growth spurt. <laughs> that is a crazy playing, growth Playing varsity at five foot, I can only imagine. Exactly. Like, you know? It was tough. It was tough, Drew. Like, it was, it, was, it was tough from the physical standpoint because you guys know basketball. So imagine the matchups that I had, you know, night in and night out. Like, one night we played Pontiac Northern, who was like the, the tough city school in Pontiac. They had senior, they had two senior point guards. These dudes are 17, 18, and they're like dog tough. I'm 14. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, like like they're dunking and they're fast as hell. And I'm still like, you know, you 14, you still a kid. Yeah. You right. know, like I have a 14-year-old daughter now, and I couldn't imagine her being a starting point guard because she's a gymnast, but at her age having that responsibility of right. I have five seniors on my team. So you can see the pressure that I had as a 
14 year old with five seniors like, hey, man, get me my touches. And then I'm trying to get my game off. And then I'm trying to defend these 18, 17 year old fast point guards like it was it was an adjustment because of the, the size. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, you're playing the toughest position or most important position on the floor. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. And like you said, by the time, you know, you got to a senior, you had already been comfortable and whatnot, but mm-hmm. you were in the same class as Kobe, right? Absolutely. And you guys both played in the Magic Round Ball class. You actually won MVP, yeah. if I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah, had you yeah. played Kobe prior to that, or do you guys have a relationship to the point where you had played each other in AAU, or was that your first time playing him? It was my first time playing against him, but his – his greatness was always his aura was always circling, you know, because when when you're in that class, when you want when you consider yourself a big time player, you're always looking at the competition around the country. We didn't have social media, nothing. So there was magazines, Street and Smiths and right. Slams and all that. So I would read about the greatness of this Kobe Bryant. You know, it was like he was. He was mythic, right? It was like, yeah. damn, you, you would see pictures of him in a magazine. And this was like, the magazine was like Instagram back then. <laughs> so so you'd be flipping through the magazines and, and it's, this, it's this picture of Kobe and he's like leaning and he has these veins popping out of his arms and he's like, you could see the shoes and he's dunking. I'm like, damn, they like, this is the number one player in the country. I'm like, woo-wee. And I'm like, damn, I'm reading an article and he's like 6'6 and he's 200 pounds and he's going to skip college and i'm like damn like bro really for real like i gotta <laughs> i gotta i gotta get in the gym bro because i gotta run a, i gotta the, the what i'm trying to get to what he's trying to get to eventually we're going to cross paths if you're a shark you're going to cross other sharks in the water right Thanks. so right. i i was sharpening my tool and then eventually we crossed paths and how how was like that game that experience like you winning the MVP with the number one player being Kobe Bryant in the same game as you? Yeah, that's it was kind of like I mean like, you couldn't script this in a movie, you know? Like this was something that was it felt like it was a, a Disney fairy tale scripted out. I was the unranked kid. Nobody knew me. I was a local hero. Like everybody in the state of Michigan knew me, but it didn't go really outside of the state of Michigan. So uh, Mateen Cleese, who was the number one or number two point guard in the nation at the time. Um, Michigan he, State. Michigan yep. State, yeah. Mich- uh, and Mateen was just phenomenal. He was just, oh, my God, he was so powerful and strong in high school. Um, he ended up being injured, so he couldn't play in the Magic Round Ball Classic. So they called me at the last to fill in um, for Mateen Cleese because he was hurt. So uh, they give me a call and say, hey, you can fill in, but we don't know if we're going to play you. But you can come in and practice because we don't know if you're good enough to play with these guys. Right. Wow. So, wow. so my dad, my dad was like, oh, no, my son, like, don't insult my son. My son is the number two point guard in the state of Michigan behind my team Cleves. No, he's going to play. Yeah. So there was a practice. So my dad drove me to a practice. We practiced at, uh, at Callahan Hall, which is University of Detroit, where I went to college. I had already committed. So our first practice was there. So that was the first time I seen Kobe Bryant. First time. So I walk in the gym and I get my Sonny Vaccaro's there. They give me my practice uniform. And they're like, all right, let's, we're going to do some drills and we're going to scrimmage. And I saw Kobe and I just saw, I saw like this six, six figure, you know, <laughs> I, you know like you got to understand, yeah. like I'm, we're, we're both 17 years old, but Kobe's like on another level. Yeah. All right. 
Like he's like he's on the verge of going to the NBA. I'm just a dude going to the local college. He right? looked like a pro at 17. Oh, Man. listen to me, bro. <laughs> listen to me. Six six, just like George. So I walk in, I see him in the three man weave, and it's, and I and we're stretching and all that, and he's just like dunking off the wrong leg, and and I'm 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 looking at it like this. I'm saying shit. <laughs> I don't know. You know, he's yeah. six, and then Tim Thomas is there. Tim Thomas was a six ten, prototypical or do it all like what we all the guys that we like in the NBA now. That's that's what Tim Thomas was. So he was the, he long, was the top kid in in Jersey too at the time, wasn't he? he was yeah, a num- he was a number three player in the country. Yeah, and and he did one year at Villanova, and he was a lottery pick. So we scrimmage. We, we scrimmage. I'm on the opposing team. And I have to give a shout out before I tell you all this story. I got to give a shout out to Jason Hart because I don't think I would have made this team if Jason Hart wouldn't have opened up to me because Jason Hart was I think he was the number two or three point guard in the country. Yeah. J- Jason Hart was like, um, let let him scrimmage. I'm going to sit it out and let him play. I'll come in with the second unit. So Jay was like getting treatment or something. So I went in with the first five against Kobe and them in the scrimmage. I ended up with 26. Wow. Uh-huh. So the coach comes to me and was like, um, yeah, bro, we got one more scrimmage tomorrow. Come back tomorrow and um, we'll see. So the next day we scrimmaged again, 31 in the scrimmage. They like, yeah, you starting, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, Man. so, so I, I ended up getting a starting job, uh, and I went out in the Magic Round Ball Classic in front of 15,000 people. And that game, um, I ended up winning MVP, and we won the game. So that's kind of how it went down. That's incredible. What you know is funny to me is it reminds me, your career, in my opinion, had a lot of parallels with our last guest, Jerome Randall, undersized dynamic mm-hmm, guards mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that can get to the chicken at any point. They can score at all three levels and yep. can facilitate – but it feels like you were under recruited because of your size and you know I yep. don't know any other factors. Yeah. What led you to Detroit Mercer and were you considering any other school at the time coming out? No, for me, well, the other school I had in mind, and that, and it's true, and, and a lot has to do with the, the the timing. Timing is everything in sports, man. Um, I was under recruited because I was, I mean, I was five eight, a buck forty five on a great day. Um, and college division one schools were afraid of giving the keys to a five eight point guard. Like, who's this this dude can't win me games? He's five eight a buck fifty. Like, yeah, right. you gotta you gotta look at it from a college coach standpoint. So if we're college coaches and we're all three coaches, so I'm like, Cam, hey Drew, what you think about this kid in Detroit? Cam say, man, he's five eight, 145 pounds. And Drew, like, well, I don't know, can he win for us? Because if he don't win for us, we get fired. That's right. true. Yeah. All right. You see what I'm saying? So it was a lot of college coaches that were scared of saying, let's give a five, eight dude the keys to our program. And can he take us home? Mm-hmm. So yeah. right. D- Detroit gave me a scholarship because coach Perry Watson, who, who was the assistant top assistant coach who brought in a fat five, he watched me grow up as a kid. So he knew my, he knew my DNA. He was mm-hmm. like, Rashad's not the average five, eight. 145 pound dude like he's dynamic and he's different so we're going to bring him on so that's how i got the offer from university detroit and for me as a kid i grew up in detroit so my dad used to take me to the university detroit games as a kid 
So they, they were my heroes. Imagine living 20, 15 minutes from a college and being able to watch college basketball at five, six years old. Like it's right. embedded in you to love that school. Right. Yeah. So I was able to live out a dream to go to University of Detroit. So for me, it wasn't like I'm at this, this school that nobody knows about and nobody's going to hear about me because I knew that when I got to that school, I was going to be an All-American and I end up being one. Yeah, like in talking about your career at Detroit, you ended up, like your coach said, you, you're dynamic, you're different than the other 5A guards. And, of course, it speaks for itself when you averaged 26 points your senior year of high school and yeah. you carried over when you got to Detroit, which you yeah. are currently, it's, I think it's safe to say, the most decorated player in the school's history. You lead the yeah. program in scoring with yeah. 2,319 points, 348 made three-pointers, and 541 made free throws. Those are all program yeah. records. You're yeah. a conference player to your – as well as the Francis Pomeroy Award winner. Like, what is it you're most proud of in wow. your time at Detroit? Like, all of those mm -hmm. records that we just rattled off and accomplishments, yeah. is there anything that stands out the most to you mm -hmm. during your four years or your time there at Detroit that you are the most yeah. proud of? Um, I'm more proud of, um, first of all, graduating with, uh, with on a dean's list. Um, and this kind of goes into my media career. I, I went into college to, to study broadcasting and communications. Yeah, and uh -huh. to, to go in there and finish in the dean's list. So those who don't know what the dean's list is means like your 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 grade point average is maintained at a three point five or higher. Um, so to graduate with honors in, in liberal arts was my number one accomplishment because I was the <laughs> first one in my family to go to college. So to really do that was something special. I didn't I didn't really notice or pay attention to it in that regard when I was that age, but now, it, now at this tender age of 42, it was my biggest accomplishment. But from a basketball standpoint, um, I only, I only lost one game at home in four years. Wow. wow. So, so the winning, the winning for me, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Yes, I scored a ton of points. I had a ton of assists. I, I got a ton of MVPs, but I wouldn't trade none of that in for, I'm the all-time winningest player at the University of Detroit. Um, so for me, being 50 and one in four years, That's crazy. I don't know if I don't know if you can find a college division one point guard that only lost one time in his entire four years. So think about that. Like I only lost one time on my home court in four years. So that's my biggest accomplishment. Yeah, you protected home court for sure. And now yeah. at Detroit, there's a guard, Antoine um Woo! Antoine Davis, who who scored <laughs> he averaged like 24 points, I believe, this last this past season. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you have a relationship with him at all or absolutely. Anything? Yeah. Absolutely. Um I talk to him all the time. I actually did a show with him um after he broke Steph Curry's three point freshman record. Yeah. Um he's gonna shatter my records from from a scoring standpoint. Like I'm only going to be the all-time leading scorer for another year and a half, so I'm going to milk this out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, he's he's a, I mean, he's such a he's I mean, he's dynamic, like five eleven, six foot, and I just think the way the NBA is today with the spread offense and yeah, uh, a lot of the freedom that the offensive players ha have, I, I believe he's going to be an NBA player. Yeah, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. The productivity speaks for itself as well. And like you said, the way the game is going, you need guards who can really getting the paint at all times but also to spread the defense out and, and shoot for yeah. he definitely nice. fits the mold so your time at detroit it ended like mm -hmm. with a career like that when you have a detroit mm -hmm. of course you're eyeing the next level playing at the highest level possible which is the nba 
Yeah. Can you explain the process of yeah. after college and what it was that might have kept you out of the league? Was it size sure. or anything like that? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so after I finished my senior year, uh, I end up being like all American. I won the Nate Smith Award as the best player in the country under six foot. Yeah. Um, and I and also we was we went to the Final Four in the NIT. Um, so that was a huge accomplishment. So you got to understand, like when you at a mid major school, the NIT is still a, a huge. Yeah, it's uh, a big deal. Yeah. It's a it's a big deal, man. Like a lot of people try to the, the regular people that don't really get the whole landscape of college basketball, the NIT is, is a huge deal. So we went to the final four my senior year and we ended up losing to uh, Alabama and Memphis beat us with Calipari. That was the year before Wagner got there. Um, so I was, uh, and you can look this up. Uh, I was on mock drafts as a first round pick. So I ended up going to Portsmouth. So if you go to Portsmouth, Portsmouth is they invite the top 60 seniors in college basketball. Yeah. And they they bring you to Portsmouth uh, in Virginia and they they put you on teams. So it's like teams of eight. So it's like uh, it's like eight, uh, seven. It's like seven teams of eight. Right. Or eight teams. And they bring in a couple of scragglers depending on what agents make the phone calls. So I got my invite to Portsmouth. um, And when I go to Portsmouth, uh, I went MVP of Portsmouth. (laughs) So. But not only did I win MVP of Portsmouth, I won the championship. Like, so I went there. We only had six guys on my team because uh, one guy got hurt the first game. So we had six guys. We had to play five games. I took my team to the championship, and we won, and I won the MVP of Portsmouth. So I ended up averaging 21-6, and six, which was second in the, second in the uh, Portsmouth in scoring and second in assists. Yeah, it's, it's, this, you can look this up. So I won that MVP. So I get out of there, and so in the mock drafts, they got me going in the first round to the San Antonio Spurs. But after you do that, you start getting calls from teams to do individual workouts. So I got a call from uh, the Golden State Warriors, which I was excited. I felt like – I think this is why I love Golden State still to this day because they were like one of the first first teams to call me. Um, They called me. I had a workout with Golden State. I had a workout with the Orlando Magic is one of the reasons why I live in Orlando because I always – Love Orlando for showing me love. Orlando <laughs> called me. Golden State called me, um, and San Antonio called me. So I and, and the New York Knicks. So I go to I go to Golden State, and and when you go to these workouts, they pair you with certain point guards that are in that that's supposed to be in your like first round or second round or whatever, right? So this is who's in my. <laughs> I get to Golden State, so this is who's in my workout in Golden State. So for me, I'm 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 the hunter. I'm looking like I want the smoke because I'm a I'm a mid-major guy. I was an All-American and I just won the the MVP, but I'm still I feel like they got me at the end of the first round and I don't like that. I feel like I'm a lottery pick. So yeah. whoever you want to put in front of me, I want that. So Jamal Tinsley's at my workout with Golden State, who was a was a first-round pick that year. Tough. No, he was so tough. Jamal Tinsley, Tony Parker, <laughs> uh Zach Randolph and Eddie Curry. This was so it was us five in the workout. So in the workout, um, uh, I get there and I, I I'm I'm excited. I'm like, yeah, I heard I heard about this Tony Parker kid from France. I heard about Jamal Tinsley. Like I watched him in Iowa State. He cold with it. And, and so 
we get to play two on two, but Tony Parker doesn't participate in the workout. He he, quote unquote, has a thigh bruise, so he can't. Uh, he dodging yeah. smoke. Yeah, he so dodging. He, <laughs> so he didn't. So he had this thigh bruise or something, right? So he didn't do none of the drills, the one on one drills with me and Jamal. So me and Jamal, me and Jamal locking horns for an hour and a half in front of all the NBA personnel for Golden State. So uh, me and Jamal going one on one, bam, bam. He beat me one game. I beat him. Like Jamal Tinsley was, I, I couldn't guard him, bro. I couldn't. Like he would, he would, he he had so much in his bag. And the only reason I was able to beat him because at times he just couldn't guard me either, right? So yeah, right. It was like so we it was just a mirror match, right? So then we go two on two. So it was uh, me and Zach Randolph, and this was this is when I knew Zach Randolph was going to be what he turned out to be, the Hall of so, Famer. Yeah, I, I and this is and this is how I knew because even though I was a player at the time, I was always an evaluator because I was I, I've been doing that since a kid. So yes. me and Zach Randolph go two on two. Me and Zach against Eddie Curry and Jamal Tinsley. We win every game, not because of me, because I threw it to <laughs> Zach every play. Yeah, he couldn't be stopped. Oh my god! <laughs> I had never seen anything like this. So after, so after that, I get on. I'm flying back the next morning. Golden, one of the Golden State people pick me up and they take me to as we drive into the airport. He tells me, "I don't supposed to tell you this, but our meeting last night. Um, everybody said that you was you was the best the best player there and the best guard that we've worked out thus far. I really think we're gonna draft you at thirty one. And I was like, cool. He's like, but you didn't hear that from me. So. Again, long story short, I went to Orlando, worked out there. Orlando liked me so much, they brought me back twice. I worked out well there. And then once the draft process started, I went to uh, Phoenix, which was another NBA camp. Um, I took my team to the championship, and I turned my ankle the first quarter. Wow. Um, so, so, yeah, the first quarter of the game, uh, I took my team all the way to the championship. This is about to be my second championship in these camps. I turned my ankle on, on uh, Damon Thornton from NC State. It was a big 6'9 guy. I got I double crossed over Carlos Arroyo, who had a great NBA career, got to the lane and I, I threw a behind the back pass. And as I came down, I landed on his foot, messed my ankle up in a, in a championship game. So I didn't get to finish out there. Long story short, the NBA draft came, thought I was going to get drafted. Golden State had the 31st pick. They end up drafting one of the most dynamic players that we've ever seen in Gilbert, Gilbert Arenas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it was like, and I was, and, and then so after I didn't get drafted, I went to summer league with Golden State. They still brought me to summer league because they love me so much. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's funny you you, you talk about that. And in, in our last episode, we talked to Jerome about the politics and you know everything that goes on in the NBA training camp when you're trying to make a team as yeah, a rookie, yeah. not drafting the first round. I know he talked about being a scoring guard coming out of college. Mm-hmm. It was hard for him to show coaches he could be a facilitator and mm-hmm. you know finding Still that balance game, yeah. right you know finding yeah that between being a short did you have difficulty with that too or um, you know, you're out there just playing you know it's it's crazy um because we all have that that battle right like to you you get to the point where you try to be something that you're not and it ends up damaging you more that's right. what jerome said yeah, yeah. you, you, you see what i'm saying yeah you're so overthinking. 
Yeah, like, so my advice when I talk to these kids now that are going into the draft and these workouts, I always give them this advice because this is what messed me up and it probably messed Randall up and a lot of other little guys that was trying to make it. Don't try to be something that you're not. Just be what got you there. What got you this far? What got you this far is you being a scoring point guard. That's what got you here. All right. So why are you going to change what got you here? Because that's why they intrigued. So I... My junior year in college, I led my conference in scoring and assists, which is very, very, very rare to do. If you guys look through the stats, I can guarantee you, you'll probably see one player per year that leads a conference in scoring and assists. That's how hard it is. Hard yeah. to do. It's very hard to do. You can ask anybody. So my junior year, I led the conference in scoring at 23 and assists at five and a half. So – I had already shown NBA people that I can do both. Like, whatever you need me to do, I can do it. So when I got to the last camp in Chicago, pre-draft Chicago, which still goes on today, I basically tried to be John Stockton. Yeah, that's not your game. Right. And, yes, that's not my game. Like, I, like I'm, a, I'm a scorer, bro. Like, and if, and if, you, if you pay too much attention to me, then I'll drop – 12 assists. So, but I was overpassing. I was overpassing to the point when you overpass, it leads to turnovers. Right. Yeah. So one scout has told my agent, like, oh, Rashad turned the ball over so much in, in Chicago. And my agent was saying, well, because he was overpassing, like, if you look at his career, like, he's an assist guy. Like, that's what he does. But again, if you try to be something you're not, it's going to hurt you. And the NBA is looking for any way, especially when you're small, they're looking for a reason not to take you. Yeah. When you're big, they're looking for every reason to take you. It's like if you walk to the bathroom with, with, with straight legs and you're 6'11", they're going to say, let's draft him. Look how he walks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. if you're small and I walk to the bathroom wrong, they're going to say, look how he walking to the bathroom. No, we ain't drafting him. He's 5'8 anyway. <laughs> yeah. right. You see what I'm saying? So if yeah. you give them an excuse to not take you, they're gonna they're gonna amplify that, and that's yeah. what happened to me. Yeah, definitely. And you talk about leading and scoring as well, and then dimes. Anybody that follows you on Twitter knows you have a, a lot of affinity for Trey Young's game. You were one of the first people, yeah, like, to really like jump on, on board with him being a superstar in the NBA. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I know you know you follow him obviously, you know, during his mm -hmm. prep career and everything. But when he really took off, I remember you were the first person. Yeah. To really say he can be that guy at the NBA level. What really yeah. attracted you to his game? Um, he reminded me of myself, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, like, you know, like when you when you when you when you're a hooper, you play for so long, like I've been born into the game. So I've been around the game for 40 years, literally. And I just kind of I saw myself in him and I saw that the 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 game was changing for guys like that. Steph Curry kind of opened the door um for a lot of guys yeah um that couldn't dunk and couldn't really jump so when i saw trey young i was like oh no this is this is what the nba is about this this kid right here you know and i just took a deeper dive into just following him and 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 eybl and once he got to oklahoma i knew that he was going to be special. And that's why I kind of, I got out in front of it and I wasn't doing it 
uh, when I first started my media stuff, I wasn't, I was just speaking what I believed. Like, it was like, hey, I think the, the kid going to Oklahoma, I just think he's going to be a star. Like, and he ended up making me look like I know what I'm talking about. And so far he's done, <laughs> so far he's done well, man. Yeah, he's been phenomenal first two years in the league. And, like, it's funny because, like you said, you were one of the first guys on him. And I remember when Trey was coming out of college. Yeah. Like, a lot of people were were skeptical of his size and and could he do all the same things that he did in high school and at Oklahoma and the NBA. And now it kind of it's kind of foolish to think that it wouldn't have worked because it's, it's translated exactly. almost seamlessly. Like, so sometimes it's really just a matter of giving a guy opportunity. Like That's it. When you really believe in that guy's talent, like, and you know what you're looking at, is going to translate to the highest level of the basketball, highest levels of competition. Absolutely, and 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 just to piggyback on that, like, I have a soft spot for point guards, right? So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like we stick together, like we, I'm we're we're defensive of each other. So I try to protect point guards, smaller point guards, mid major point guards. So it's like we stick together. We're like a fraternity. Yeah. So. I like I take up for all of them. It's not just Trey Young, you know, it's like I make sure that when I see a small great point guard, I don't want them to go through what I went through. You know, I went through a lot of um I call it sports depression, you know, because you got to think about it when you when you work so hard for something and you're so tunnel vision to get there and you you check off every box to get to that prize and then you don't get to it you got to understand the deflation in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got to understand, like, from I was born to play at the highest level of, of, of basketball and, then, and to do everything in my power to, to get to that point from elementary to middle school to high school to college. And then when you get right in front of the door, they close it in your face. So I never want to see a point guard that I believe checks all the boxes, I want you to open the door for him. So I, I, I speak heavily for people like Trey Young to open up the door for them and give them an opportunity so they can show you what they're about because a lot of us don't get through the door. So we have to vicariously live through the Trey Youngs, the, the Steph Currys, the, the John Morant's, the Kimball Walkers, the Kyle Lowry's, like all these six foot, six one, six two guys, we we all don't get in. It's a million of us, but only fifteen of us get through the door. Yeah, right. You understand because it's it's it's, it's only four hundred and fifty jobs in the world. You can't let a hundred of them uh, be six five. feet. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so you, you, it, it becomes math at the end of the day. Yeah, I remember me and Drew were high on a guy who was in the same situation as you, an undersized guard, Tyler Eulis. I know we both were huge Ooh, fans of yeah. Eulis' game in high school and at Kentucky. Like, I, I say personally, out of all the point guards John Calipari's had, just strictly college, his sophomore season at Kentucky is the most impressive one that I saw where he won SEC player of the year and player of the year Yeah, I mean, at winning, five, nine. winning defense year yeah. at 5'9". Yeah, unbelievable. Stretch. And that wasn't like a super loaded Kentucky team. Of course, Kentucky always has talent, but that wasn't like the John Wall, the Marcus Cousins type of team. No, and just no. to watch what he did that year as a sophomore, Unreal. it was crazy. And just like hearing you say, like, you stick up for all of the smaller guards and everything. I had – you was one of my favorite college players of the last 10 years for sure. Definitely. Kentucky. Oh, I agree. So, I, I, I agree. He 
he was tremendous. And like I go back to his because he's from Chicago. Yeah. Right. So I, I got people in Chicago. So I I've been knowing about Tyler since he was like in the ninth grade. So I was always following him and watching his progression. And he he just had a CP3 vibe like that's yeah. his, yep. his, his command of the game was unlike anything. And I believe the kid Sharif Cooper going to Auburn. He's, he, he's the same type of player as Tyler Eulis. Yeah. Yep. You know, but so we got to hope that we got to pound on the door and t- NBA, you got to let him in. Yeah. yeah. You got to let him in. Yeah. I think Sharif can be special. I think Sharif is really, really good, man. I think he's really good. Yep. I, I Same type of style. Even though you never, you know, got to that NBA level, we know a lot of guys, you know, in the NBA give you your flowers. One, you know, circling back to Kobe, he talked about you being the best player that wasn't in the NBA. Did he yeah. give you solace that somebody in that stature held you in that regard or give you any type of validation or you kind of find that in your, your play? Yeah, man, I'm going to just keep it all the way 100 with you guys. Like I was really in a dark place for a long time in, in regards to not making it to the NBA um, where – um, you know, Kobe saying that during a time because he said this like back in like I think it was like 08 09 when he actually in the world, too. Like, yeah, he, like he at that time, when time. yeah, w- when he said it, he was like he was iconic when he said it, yeah. Um, and it and it came after uh him inviting me to a game. Um, they played the Pistons, and I was. I was I was unemployed. I was just coming back from overseas and I and, and I was in a financial dispute with an overseas team that owed me owed me some bread. So Jerome was talking about it's, this. It's really funny you mentioned that, Jerome. <laughs> he talked about not getting paid, not getting paid on time. Like he talked about his least oh, favorite part of the overseas experience man. the money. Yeah. Man, I, I had a I had a team. I won't even tell you the country or the team, but <laughs> it was it was it was a team that owed me like hundred and fifty large. Wow. wow. So um I end up coming home and um I was in a really dark place because I had lost I had lost about three hundred. So I came home, Kobe contacted me, wanted me to come to the piston game. This was right before they made the trade to to get Powell Casal. They traded to get Paul Gasol like two days after they played the Pistons. So they lose to the Pistons in the Palace. I'm waiting after the game for Kobe. And um, um, I see him and he, we call, he calls me over and we're talking. It's just me and him. And he's like, dog, what's good? I'm like, man, you know, I'm chilling. I'm home, whatever. He's like, hey, man. He's like, hey. He hit my chest with his fist like, hey, man, hey, wake up, dog. And he was like, wake up. He's like, nah, wake up. Keep your head up. He was like, do what you got to do. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'm thinking about like, I'm about to retire. Cause this was like, this was like, 08. I was like, I'm about to retire, man. I'm done, bro. I got like one more year in me and I just want to move on. He was like, follow your heart, but whatever you do, make sure you get it done. And he punched me in my chest and he's like, Hey, and I looked at him in the eye. He's like, get it done dog. And then we dapped up whatever. We took a little picture and he was like, holler at me if you need me. And I was like, no, I got it. Right. Yeah. So the next the next year, like that that talk with him, the next year I retired. I went overseas to Saudi Arabia. I played there. I was MVP of the league in Saudi Arabia my last year. I won MVP. They offered me a three-year deal. I turned it down and I started my own training academy. 
And my training academy turned into the biggest training academy in the state of Michigan for eight years. And the reason that that happened is because Kobe Bryant had that talk with me and told me to get my shit together. That's true. And he, so he, he, he knew when he saw you and when you were in that, that dark spot, he knew that wasn't you. Yes. He, he knew that was not true. And that's why he was saying like, Hey, I know, yeah. I know you really are. I know this isn't yeah. you. Yeah. This ain't you. Exactly. And that goes back to our high school, you know, our time in high school where I mean, when we played against each other in the magic game, we spent time, you know, in the, you know, when we were hanging out at the arcades and the hotels, like I got a chance to, me and him got a chance to befriend each other when he got drafted to the Lakers, we would talk. Like when he first got to LA, people don't notice, like his sisters live with him, you know? Yeah. Like, so I used to call him all the time and talk. we used to talk on the phone. Like we developed a friendship because I believe Kobe, he started to, he befriended me because he like, damn, like bro, like really tough with it. You know, like he had a respect for me because I was small, but I didn't back down from him. Like yeah. Kobe likes people who don't back. That's why him and Matt Barnes became cool. Yeah, Matt Barnes. Like Kobe, they both tell that story all the time about like Matt Barnes just wouldn't back down from me. That's what Kobe respected in him. Like, exactly. Like Kobe was so intimidating in high school, bro. You guys have no idea. He was really Kobe was mean, bro. He was really mean, and he and we locked horns, and he respected that. Like, damn, this little dude not like he not budging. He right. not, and so we developed a friendship, and that's why. When, you know, speeded up to 2008, our friendship was that strong. So Kobe kind of instilled that, like, get your head up, um, get your shit together. And and it really, you know, I still carry that conversation with me still to this day. That's incredible. And mm -hmm. like you said, you started a, a basketball academy for eight years after you retired. When did you like and you said earlier, you always had it in you like that you were an evaluator of talent, even when you were a player. What made you want to dive all the way into like the media side of basketball and mm -hmm. become an evaluator yourself on a yeah. professional level you are now? Like what made you yeah. take it that serious <laughs> after you like you had this huge basketball academy already? Yeah, man, I got I got tired of watching I got tired of watching the 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 certain media members project the game of basketball to people in the wrong fashion. And it it started to bother me that when I would turn on a TV and I would watch these multiple stations and I would be like, no, that's not how the game went. You know, like I would be arguing with the TV and it was like, I, <laughs> I got to I got to create something where it's I wanted I wanted people to see basketball through the lenses of a person like myself. And I just felt like there wasn't a, a lot of people in the media space that would go out and, and speak the game from an organic standpoint. It was a lot of, a lot of agendas and, and put being pushed. And I, I just didn't like that. I was like, I, I want to just kind of talk about the purity of the game. And then I noticed that mid-major players weren't, weren't getting the notoriety. So I just wanted to create a platform where when you come to my platform that you're, you were going to get an honest opinion through a, through a lens of somebody who played on every level and cross paths with so many great players in their journey that maybe I can give you the game from my glasses and maybe you would like it from there. So that's kind of what made me do that. Yeah. And like, since you're, you're a player and players always have like, a, they can, they, they they have a different perspective than the average viewer just because mm -hmm. you played the game and everything. And especially like, since you were point guard, you can evaluate mm -hmm. point guards a little mm -hmm. bit differently than the average fan can. So yeah. I'm pretty sure like that, that's, 
it goes hand in hand right there. Like you said, just wanting to like evaluate the game based off of what it really is. Yeah, like I'm not going to be right all the time or anything like that. But when I just want when people see my material, I want them to understand it's coming from a basketball place. You know, like there's a difference between being uh, 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 narratively wrong or basketball wrong. Yeah, I prefer to be basketball wrong. So like I would say, oh, this this kid may not be good. It's not my narrative that I'm saying he's not going to be good. It's just my basketball opinion. So if I'm wrong, yeah. it's because it's a basketball wrong. Yeah. All right. That does, does that make sense? No, it makes, yeah, it definitely. Makes sense. It makes no, sense definitely. for sure. So, like, when I'm wrong, it's because I was basketball wrong. That's it. Yeah, it's not because you had any agenda or any. No, I was just thought. wrong. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, none of these analysts hit 100% no, nobody anyway. I mean, yeah. Nobody. You can look at it, any sport, God like Bill Belichick, they don't hit every year in the draft. No. You know? Nope. It's the nature nope. of the business. Like, you're going to have misses. Like, for you sure. Can, you can evaluate somebody and watch all the film and everything, think it projects to the highest level. At the end of the day, that player still has to go in and do the work. Exactly. Circumstance wherever they were drafted to has to work well for them. Like, all that, all yeah. those factors come into play when. You evaluate, and you don't really know what's going to happen with the, the the team. The the it could be injury based. It could be, yeah. You know, they could have you. You just you know off court issue. You just never know. You know, so there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, and but if you're watching NBA playoffs right now, there are a bevy of guys mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. you yourself were high on and hit on as far yeah. as evaluating that other yeah. people might not have been particularly high on at the time. Guys such right. as Tyler Harrow. You were pretty yeah. high on him. Jamal high Murray, on. you were really yeah. high on him. I, I remember you being high on Jalen Brown. And, Love of course, him. Kendrick Nunn, he's not in the heat rotation right now, but he finished yeah. second rookie of the year voting after being undrafted. And you were one of the one of the only people I really saw that yeah. was really high on him coming high out. Of like, really high on him. You believed that he could play in the NBA and yeah. contribute at a high level. And he proved that this yeah. year averaging i think 15 points yeah. for, for the yeah Miami. he was he was tremendous yeah. this year yeah he he's, he had a, a great rookie year and so when you look at stuff like that what do you look for mm-hmm. when you're evaluating guys like that like mm-hmm. you said you look at it from a basketball sense but like all yeah. of those guys are different type of players for the most part yeah. how do yeah. you know certain things um, players is going to be translatable yeah it's really oh man it's that's a loaded question but like, <laughs> I, it's like um man it's like when I look at players, uh, I, I, I don't look at the statistics of the player. I yeah. look at uh, style. I look at mannerisms. I look at uh, uh, how, how they inject others around them. So let's just take Bam Adebayo for, for an example. I mean, I watched him at Kentucky, um, just watching how he goes about the game. I'm watching how he runs after a missed basket. Like I'm looking at those things. And then you then you add on top of the obvious things. Like, does he seal in the post? Does he screen right? Does he roll? Did he hedge properly on that? And then I kind of compile all the things that I'm watching. And then yeah. I and then I come out with this this output and I'll say, okay, I believe Bam at a bio is gonna be this. You know, so it's like there's a, a weird science to how I do it, but then I kind of like do all the homework and then I present it to everybody and make it easy. Like, Hey, this is why I think Bam at a is going to be the breakout player in the NBA this year, because I watched his film. I saw him in summer league when the Miami first drafted him, the summer league was here in Orlando. 
I went to the summer league. I watched the Miami Heat because I wanted to see Bam with my own eyes. I had been watching him on tape. When I left, I said he's going to be an all-star in three years. You can book it. Because I just saw the energy that he brought to the game, his passion, and just the way that he elevated people around him. So that's kind of how I do it with, with everybody. Now, when it comes to guards, it's pretty easy for me with guards because that's what I was. Yeah, right. So it's easy for me to see the style. Like, I just – just watching him come off a ball screen. Like, if he comes off the ball screen shoulder to shoulder or if he's putting too much space between the, the hedger and himself, it's like, oh, he don't know how to come off ball screens. He, no, nah, he can't play in the NBA yet. Like, just little stuff like that. That has nothing yeah. to do with stats. Yeah. It's like I could just tell how he come off a ball screen. Like, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's how NBA point guards come off ball screens. Or how he uses his offhand. Does he do this? Does he get his feet set? Let me look at his technique. Does he, or is he talking on the court? All those that kind of factor into my evaluations. Yeah. And like you were, you were, uh, I remember before the season started, me and you, you're we having a conversation and we both, I think we both had Bam Adebayo as our pick for most improved player. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. But it, of course, it ended up being um, Brandon Ingram, Brand, Brandon Ingram yeah. won, which was a great choice, but Adebayo cool. finished in the top three. He was the runner up. He was the runner up. So like we both. Runner up. And yeah, it's, it's funny you bring him up right there. And you were really, really high on him coming into this season. High on him. High on him. I was like, I, I put it out there, you know, like, look, yeah. this is a dude. This this dude going to have a breakout year. Bam at a bio. He was my number one dude to break out. And, and he he's made, in a, he's, yeah. So he made the all star game. And, and like you said, you said in three years, and it was his third year. It was the third he year. Made the all star game. So that's the joy of it, man. Like, I just. You know, I, I love that. I, I, I get a I get a joy out of it, man. Like because I, I'm such a basketball person, I'm obsessed with the game. Yeah. So I just yeah. like I just love seeing kids be successful, and I love when I'm when I hit because it's it's fun. It's like it's just fun for me. You know, I, yeah. I know a lot of people on Twitter get mad and they say, "Oh, you why do you keep bringing it up?" But you got to understand, like <laughs> I run I run my I run my own company, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't work for ESPN. I don't work for Fox Sports. So if I don't bring it up, who's going to bring it up? Like right. I have to promote my own material because it's my own company. Right. True. So so if I don't bring up Bam at a bio or none of these people, you guys would never know because none of the ESPN ain't going to bring it up. No. You know, yeah. like you see what I'm saying? Like with no, John Moran, like nobody's going to bring up my material but me. So you got to understand, like. I run my own company, therefore, I have to, I have to bring up my own work in my own company, yeah, or nobody else is going to do it. Yeah, I was going to say if you don't promote it and you don't, who you don't else? Put out there, nobody else is going to do it, right? It's just like it's, it's part of ownership. When you own something, it's your job to put your own material out there. Now, if somebody, if I go somewhere else or a bigger platform, I'm sure that that company would bring it up. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Course, so, yeah. but I, I am my own company, and so for, until until another platform or something comes along, you got to exactly. do it. Right. Yes, it's part of ownership. Yeah. So I know we all, you know, have kind of been thrown around by the pandemic and whatnot, especially college basketball not getting a March Madness, and you being a big, you know, mid-major guy. A yeah. lot of mid-major guy that would have gotten that big stage opportunity in the tournament didn't get to mm -hmm. play this year. Who are you think some sleeper that would have had a big March Madness for the and you know a sleeper a mid-major sleeper for the draft? You think oh, we should man. be having on our radar, or who is your favorite guard in this draft? Man, I got a lot of. It's hard because there's a lot of players, but I believe Grant Riller um, from College of Charleston. I believe Grant Riller 
is the best offensive player in the draft. Yeah, you've been high on him yeah. all season. If Man, he's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. Yeah, he he. I don't know where he's going to fall in the draft. Some teams got him pegged at the fir- first rounder. Some teams I've talked to have him late in the second, but I'm just telling you, whoever takes him, man, you, you, you're you going to get a player. Um, he reminds me a lot of uh, – he got a little bit of Spencer Dinwiddie in him, um, wow. but t- t- terrific twitch with the ball, can wiggle, can knock down shots, very efficient, very explosive. Um, I, I think he's going to be fantastic. Um, a kid that I, I, I like that the tournament – with, with college basketball being canceled last year at the end, he's not in the draft this year, but I believe the kid, A.J. Green, out of northern Iowa, would have yeah, re- right. really turned some heads. Um, he's back in college this year, but if he would have got a March Madness, I believe he would have came out. Um, stage. He, he's really, really, really good. Yeah, he needed that stage. He's good. Uh, Flynn from San Diego State is fantastic. Right, Malachi Flynn. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I actually was in – I went to Vegas to watch him. Cause I was watching my kid uh, Amari Hardy and Jaden Hardy. So I was in Vegas with them. So I stopped and watched that game and watched Flynn. He's a, he's very prototypical. I think he's going to be a terrific pick. So again, I'm just kind of point highlighting the guys that don't get the notoriety. Obviously we know about the big guys, the LaMelo balls, the RJ Hamptons and the Anthony Edwards. We know about those guys already, but when you make a mistake or I don't even want to say it's a mistake when you miss on a guy, yeah. Is there anything when you miss on somebody that you look at once they have success in the league that you might have overlooked previously and applied it going forward to anybody Absolutely. else? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Here's a here's here's a here's something I want to share with you guys. Just a little a little a statement that I use. Mistakes make geniuses. The more mistakes you make, the smarter you get. You can learn from them. Right. Mistakes make geniuses. So anytime I make a mistake, I learn from it. Yeah. And in and, and life itself, whatever it is, if it's if it's stock market, if I if, if I mess up in a stock market, why did I mess up? Blah, blah, oh, I messed up on that trade. Then right it, now I know not to do that again. Right. Yeah. If I, so mistakes make geniuses. And that's for everybody that I, I want everybody to understand that. Go out and make mistakes because the mistakes is going to make you a genius later. So that's how I kind of look at things. So when I miss on a guy, I do, I go back, man. Like I look at Luka Doncic. I'm like, man, damn, I'm like, let me go back. And what did I, what did I not pick up that, you know? And, and, yeah. and then I, then I apply that to the next kid that I evaluate and be like, okay, let me make sure I cover that base right. so I can increase my probability of not being wrong on this kid. But again, like you both said, there's a lo- lot of factors that go into misses. Sometimes, it's not the basketball. And I have a perfect prospect to bring up that people want to say I missed on, but I believe in my heart I didn't miss on, and that's Mo Bamba. Yeah. I, believe, I believe some kids go to the wrong team. Yeah, You can get drafted to the wrong team, and it completely will take a kid out. That's, that's facts. That, that, that's, that's 100%. It's all situational-based, circumstantial-based for, for a lot of kids. Getting buried yeah. by an all-star in front of you. Yeah, too. like, like – Mo Bamba went to Orlando. I didn't like the pick. And, I, you know, I love my magic. But I didn't think that Mo Bamba was the pick they should have took. But he was so he was so unicornish, they just couldn't pass up on him. But I was like, you don't need him because you're going to pay Vooch $100 million. Yeah, you're not going to play the kid. Yeah. So right. now he's, he's buried on the end of the bench in Orlando. They are afraid to trade him because they do know he's a unicorn. Yeah, if you trade him and he becomes what you think he is somewhere else, it, it looks like you, you just – exactly. So sometimes NBA teams are afraid to trade their 
lottery picks because they don't want the backlash when they so if you trade Mo Bamba to uh let's say Atlanta, whatever, Mo Bamba's a different player playing with Trey Young. Yeah. Right? You see what I'm saying? Like it's it's situation. So I don't think I miss on Mo Bamba. I just think that he got drafted by the wrong team. Yeah. And like, yeah, him being in, in Atlanta, just hypothetically speaking, the game, first of all, it'll get simplified for him a lot more. Like he, he won't exactly. have, like he, they aren't asking him to do a lot in Orlando now because he just doesn't get the opportunity to play. But Trey Young, a point guard like that will put him in positions to where he can maximize all of Mo's strengths. Yes. Where there's yes. rim running, lob threat, yeah. pick and pop threat, anything like yes. that. Like, so yeah, it, it's definitely situational for a lot of guys. And Mo Bamba is, is one of those guys for sure. Like, if he just played in somewhere where he could just get more PT. Put him to Dallas. Put him in Dallas with Luca. Yeah. Like, if the, imagine Mo Bamba with the Mavericks. Mavericks. Like he could and you put Porzingis and Mo Bamba with Luke. They probably if they stay healthy, they'll be a tough out. Yeah. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's situation. Yeah. So I still believe in my heart. No, I didn't miss on Mo Bamba. But people, oh, you missed on Mo Bamba. No, no he just got drafted by the wrong team. Yeah, and he, when when he leaves Orlando or you'll whatever, for example, you'll be able to see more out of him. Yeah, especially if his mind is right. Like, you know, like young rookies that get drafted in a lottery, and I had this – me and Chauncey Billups talked about this in his interview that I got coming out. Yeah. But a lot of young players, when they're drafted early, if it doesn't go their way, they go into a dark place and they never can get climb out of it. So Chauncey a lot of it, guys who who he struggled a little bit at first. He was a lottery yes. pick. Yes. Yeah. And then he they, became number three pick. Number yeah. three pick. And then he know? became what he became in his after second five stuff. teams. Yeah. After exactly. five teams, bro. Yeah, like you know how time. you know how mentally tough you got to be to get through five teams, and then finally on your sixth try, like okay, this is it. Like you have to be mentally strong, and 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 a, and a lot of a lot of people aren't as mentally strong, so you gotta have that going into the next team as well. Right. That's yeah. It's like it's it's situational. I can't wait to hear that Chauncey Billups interview. That's that's gonna yeah. be interesting. It's very it's it's gonna be a powerful interview. I can guarantee you that. And the Chris Weber one is gonna be crazy yeah, I you, too. I saw you talking about that. Yeah, I was definitely looking forward to the Weber one. I know he doesn't do a whole lot of media, no, so doesn't. getting any type of action. He don't talk. No, he don't talk. Yeah. And so I, I have one last question for you. And sure. My question is, you were talking about your misses and, like, people bringing up how you always yeah. promote your hits. Yeah. But there are always going to be people who don't care about you being right about anything. They're only going to bring up what you mm -hmm. missed on. Like, you, sure. you, Twitter trolls, all stuff like that. How yeah. do you, at this point, have you blocked out just any of the outside noise, detractors, mm -hmm. anything like that to keep pushing yeah. forward? Because you've had the conversation with me before. You'll yep. hit me when you see somebody like coming at me or something. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll be like, yo, you just got to ignore them. Just keep going yeah. forward. Just push forward. How did yeah. you get to that point? I'm, I'm young. So, of course, I, I want to like argue back you, with anybody. You want back. the smoke. Yeah. You young. Exactly. You got, you so, got. <laughs> so, but you, 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 you've been real instrumental in getting times telling me like it's not even worth it. How did you yeah. get to that point now? Especially because, like you said, you run your own business and like yeah. you balance protecting your brand but also yes just letting yes. the outside noise be outside noise correct the great that's a great question cam um so for me I, I go back to my just my basketball days like i was a i was a great free throw shooter and you know what when you shoot free throws i actually loved shooting free throws on the road opposed to shooting them at home yeah. because 
I like the noise to shoot free throws. It actually motivated me to make the free throw. The more noise you made, it was easier for me to make the free throw. The quieter it was, it was harder for me to make free throws. It was a weird science for me. So I look at the Twitter noise. I always imagine myself at the free throw line and I see, <laughs> and, and I hear the Twitter's noise in my head and you don't know basketball and Luka Doncic is this and you missed on this and you missed. And I hear all this noise and I'm, I'm taking my three dribbles and I'm <laughs> taking my breath and I'm saying, yeah, this going in. And I, and I flick my wrist and it switches. So that analogy is that I ignore the noise, but I hear it. So I, I'm concentrating more to get to my goal. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great analogy. <laughs> that's a great analogy. And yeah. a lot of people, like, oddly enough, Hoopers, they feel the same way about you just talking about free throw shooting. Like, I guess it's not natural to shoot in the quiet, Jimmy. Like, it's, it's right, practice, but it's just not natural to shoot. Not you natural. can't simulate the game situation of shooting on the road with the crowd going crazy and everything. But yeah, man, like I say, you've been you've been one of the people definitely to like you'll hit me like it's not even worth it. And I see, yeah, because you you had plenty of people come at you about whatever it might be or anything. every day, bro. Yeah, exactly. And just to watch you like it bounce off of you and you just keep moving. Keep moving, I just man. Know, like how your, how your thought process was behind. Yeah. It. Yeah. I, like I said, it's like shooting free throws with a lot of noise. Just focus on your target, aim, take your breath, release, and, and, and then jog back on defense and say, yeah, when I get back, I'm going to make the next one, you know? <laughs> so that's how I look at it. And you, you know, you guys have done a terrific job of, of building this platform. And I was elated um, when you guys reached out to me to, to be a part of it. Like I always, love to support young people that are great for the game like what you guys are doing you're, you're doing something great the game needs people like like you two that that really love it that cover it the right way and and, and you're opinionated but it's educated opinions there's a difference right educated opinions i always love even if you if you don't agree or you do agree but that's the beauty of it yeah, that it's just an educated opinion. Like I know Cam, you love, you love your your Lakers and AD and all of that, and that's and that's, <laughs> yeah, and that, and, but and, and and that's great. Like that's and that's great. Like I love to see everybody, you know, push their product and and I and I love everybody's knowledge of the game, and I embrace it as long as it's coming from a positive place. Like I'm always with it, and you guys have done a good job of just. Uh, amplifying that we need more guys like you hey man we, we yeah, appreciate, we appreciate those words man for yeah, sure Jim. that means a lot coming from from you 100 percent. and we we appreciate you having the time to come on board and do this episode with us do this show yeah we're supporting everything that you do like you said the chauncey bullets interview is coming the chris weber one we can't wait to to yeah. tune in both of those perk speaks highly of you all the time <laughs> like yeah. i love that dude perk, perk talks highly of you for sure so yeah. Like, just keep doing what you're doing, and you have our support the same way you support yeah. us. Yeah, for sure, man. What you going to do next year when Brooklyn in the finals against the Lakers, man? Who you going to cheer for, Cam? Uh, <laughs> Katie, send me some tickets. I'll be for, I'll be, I'll be for the next. <laughs> 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 Katie, send me some tickets. But uh, we, we appreciate you, like I said, coming on board, man. Thanks yeah. for stopping by. Make sure you follow. You want to plug anything before we get up out of here? Anything you want to plug for the listeners? No, man, I'm all good, man. They, they can follow me on Twitter, RP3Natural, man. I'll, I'll be there shooting free throws. All right. <laughs> follow RP3Natural on Twitter. 
Make sure you follow us at the Elite Media Group on Twitter and Instagram, at the Play for Keeps podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and at RNC Radio Live on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, we are out.